Good morning, Grace. Our scripture reading today is in the book of Jude. We'll just be reading the first four verses of the book of Jude. We are in the book of Jude, reading the first four verses. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord. Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us all here so that we may worship you with our brothers and sisters. Lord, that we may fellowship with one another. And Lord, I ask that you would be with each and every one of us as we hear this message. Uh, Lord, speak into each and all uh, all of our hearts. And Lord, allow us to go from here uh, renewed and, and built up in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I received a, a note this mor- or, yeah, this morning from, in my email concerning uh, Joe Ottinger. As you may know, there was a, an earthquake that happened in Alaska. It was fortunately, unfortunately also, 500 miles from where the Ottingers ministered. But still, the effects of it, they felt. Jill said that they're fine, but yet then she shared this. She gave me this medical prayer request. She has been dealing with involuntary muscle movements and spasticity for a while and will see a neurologist in Anchorage. She flies there. As she flies there, the cost is $300. It might be related to her 2020 head injury, maybe autoimmune, if you will. She had an EEG yesterday, the 19th, and will also need blood work. Those tests are fortunately done locally, and yet please lift her in prayer. Thank you to everyone for your concern. Our God, this request has not come to us by chance. It is here for purpose that we as a congregation may not only just pray, but maybe some here, we could dig down deep and Bless the Gideons and also bless the Ottingers with the need that they have for this plane ticket for Jill to be able to fly to see a neurologist. 
We leave that to you. That you would work on the hearts of individuals, maybe that would even here this morning, and take it upon themselves to make sure that both the Gideons and the Ottingers would be well taken care of. We praise you. We praise you for the sustenance we have. We praise you for the word that we have. And now we ask that your spirit would teach us this day. It's not a long passage, but it is well worth our while to heed the warning that is here. So unto you, O Lord God, we ask these things in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. One of the privileges and also one of the challenges of pastoral ministry is visiting and spending time in hospitals. And we know that over the past few years, those challenges have been, if you will, uh, directed. Policies have been changed by COVID. And I, and I don't need to get into all of that. I guess you understand what we're talking about. But anyway, there have been times, at least I remember one time that I was in a hospital visiting something, someone, and all of a sudden this loud thing came over the intercom, and all of a sudden you heard the words, code blue. And knowing full well what that means is that there is an emergency somewhere in the hospital that needs to be attended to very quickly. Because code blue means someone is in utter danger. It may be even to the point of their life. So someone grabs the crash cart and off they go. And it took someone to disrupt the peacefulness of the hospital. You know, you're not supposed to be screaming in the hallways and such as that. But this particular instance, it was a directive that action had to be taken very, very quickly. Well, when you read the book of Jude, specifically when you move from verse 2 down to verse 3 and then down to verse 4, you can't help but think that this is a spiritual code blue. Something has happened. Something is drastically taking place to the individuals, though we don't know who they are, other than the fact that they're listed for us in, in verse 1, that they're called of God, that they're beloved of God, that they're kept for Jesus Christ. We're not given a geological place. We're not even told if there's a church involved. So we at least know that this is someone, somewhere, that is affecting a body of believers. And so Jude, if you will, as we get to verse 3, you'll find out that he has a reason for his writing. And it's a spiritual code blue. I, I trust that you caught that as Pastor Steve was reading the passage. Because if, if, if you look at this particular challenge, this, you understand that what was happening was an inside job. Individuals were coming in they were sneaking in, if you will. They were disguising themselves in so many ways that they were causing an internal strife. Now these people, wherever they were, or maybe even today, we can look out and see that 
the things that the world may throw at us, we can certainly anticipate that. But when it comes to the inward, when it comes to someone sneaking in, so to speak, and you can sort of catch that in, in Jude's writing. Individuals are coming in. We're, we're, we're not told specifically their names, but we are given to the fact that they are referred to as being evil. Evil individuals. And so Jude, in many ways, is recognizing the fact that if we look at this, the destruction of a work of God can come not necessarily from the outside, but from the inside. In fact, I want you to realize that this is an appeal. Did you catch that in verse 3? Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, yet I found it necessary to write appealing to you. Interesting word there because we understand a little bit better if you go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Because there, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, brethren, I beseech you, I beg you. It's the exact same word. And so what Jude is doing is he is awakening, he's becking, if you will, beseeching these people to wake up. Something is happening in your midst. And this appeal that he makes is of great interest. Because he wants us to contend for something. Contend for the faith. Well, now that word contend is very interesting because in the Greek, you'll find in the center of that word, the term agony, agonizing. In other words, this is going to be a, a, a strife. This is going to be something that you're going to have to, to make a stand for. And it's not going to be popular. It's, it's not going to be wonderful. It's something you're going to have to fight for, if you will agonizing like I did with the Giants this year agonizing and all of you Eagle fans I, I, I pity your ankles they should be broke by now y'all jumping off the bus there's really cheap if you will housing to buy in Philadelphia now no I'm just kidding but you understand the agonizing that, that this strife is, is, is something to contend for. But what are we to contend? The other phrase is the faith. The faith. Now, at least you ought to be asking yourself the question, what does he mean by the faith? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And do ourselves wise to read this portion of scripture. Because this is the faith that Jude and Paul and James and Peter and John are striving for. What is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Specifically, we'll pick it up at verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures or according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to Cephas, Peter, if you will, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Appeared also to me. What is this thing of the, the faith? It, it, it is the, obviously, it is the gospel. The gospel. Now you've got to recognize that at least we understand that it's, there's a 17th century theologian. His name is Thomas Monton, M-A-N-T-O-N. And in his writing of the commentary of Jude, which, by the way, just in the two opening verses, he spent 140 pages. That's not easy reading, by the way. But anyway, this is what he had to say concerning the faith. He wrote, it's not a thing invented, but it's given. It's not found out by us but it is delivered by God himself and delivered to our custody that we might keep it for eternity, the faith. What's interesting about that, though, the dynamic is this, is that as the Apostle Paul wrote, he's not writing about some vague thing. He didn't make this up. Did you catch that in verse 3? He was given it by God. To him, that which I received, he said. It's not something vague about religiosity or spirituality. No, not at all. It's the very truth of the faith. It's what Paul also writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. That the word of God is God-breathed. It is empowered by the very breath of God for the purpose of, if you will, for the defending of the faith. That's what it's here. And Jude is garnering, if you will. He's telling these people, he's appealing to them, I beseech you, you're going to be in a fight. You've got to defend this in agony. It's going to take energy to do. Now, it's not long as we look in our own culture today that there's a huge difference between the faith and faith. I, I, I challenge you, follow some history writing. I love history. Follow some history writing. For in it, you will find out that organizations ended. That which was once strong was divided. Uh, some of them I'm going to name for you, and you're going to know exactly who they are. There's such individuals, such, if you will, institutions as Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth, Yale, yes, and even Bucknell University, were all begun for the purpose of teaching ministers to be able to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they were not destroyed by outside forces or culture. It happened from the inside. It went from the faith to a faith. 
It went from that which was built upon the word of God to now man's philosophy, man's ways of doing things. And the appeal is this, as Jude writes, I beg you, I beseech you, I urge you to don't let that happen. Stand firm, if you will. Now you'll notice in our text, if you once you get to verse four, uh, verse four, you'll find out that there ultimately are two ways to destroy the faith. One is by deletion, and the other is by addition. Deletion and addition. By deletion, the attack comes from the form of, well, we, we don't have to be so bold. You, you, you don't have to be so firm. We, we, we believe in the resurrection, but we don't need everybody to believe in the resurrection. Oh, we believe in the purity of the scriptures, but, but it's okay if other people have their ideas also. You see what's happening here? Over time, hasn't this even ingrated into our culture? To where now we have a sitting Supreme Court justice who doesn't even know the definition of a woman. How tragic. How tragic it is that just behind them. Well, I don't know if that person has taken the time to look behind her. For there she will find the Ten Commandments of God written there. In the hall of the Supreme Court, the Ten Commandments of God are right there. And yet, what is a woman? Oh, I don't know. I have a definition. That's deletion. But what about addition? Well, there is one religion that teaches that only the church can interpret the scriptures for, if you will, for the not-so-bright members of the congregation. And, and, and it believes that the Spirit still speaks through the church, thereby making the door open to ex-cathedral statements by the Pope, by bishops, adding, if you will, dogma to the Roman Catholic Church. Did you hear what the Pope just most recently said in the past two weeks concerning homosexuality? That the church should not speak against it. It's recognized as being valuable. Well, isn't that what happens when all of a sudden you start adding tradition and scriptures? Where the scripture sort of goes down and tradition sort of comes up. Now this is the guiding part. They add to it. Where did purgatory come from, from the scriptures? You won't find it in here. Something added in order to control the people. In order to give them a false hope. That is not spoken about in the scriptures whatsoever. They've added to it. And what has happened? Well, the word of God becomes less valuable. 
And so here we have this wonderful, wonderful Jude who writes to us concerning this appeal, I beseech you, contend for the faith, which has, as he says here, which has been delivered once for all to the saints. Well, what's the reason for that? If you're a history buff like I am, you you come across some writings of former individuals who no longer in office, but Margaret Thatcher, the once prime minister of England, had this to say. They called her the Iron Lady. It's interesting she wrote this. If you just set out to be liked, you would be prepared to compromise on anything at any time, and you would achieve nothing. If you simply set out to be liked, If being liked is the issue, then you're going to have to fudge on things, let go of that, agree to that, and enjoy being affirmed and recognize that actually you'll be accomplishing nothing. Amazing. So what is the reason? Well, we must move. We must move along very, very quickly. So the appeal is based on the reason that is stated in verse 4. For certain people have crept in, unnoticed, who long ago were destined or designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the gospel or the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Who are these ungodly people? Well, they're described for us in better terms when we get to to verse 16. I don't know when we're going to get there, but verse 16 describes them this way. You can look it up for yourself. They're called loud mouth boasters. They're called showing favoritism to gain their own advantage. So what were they doing? Well, point number one is this as they were perverting the very grace of God so that now you can come to what is called sensuality. Now that's an interesting word because in it, it's, it's, a, it's a cleaned up word. Literally, what it really is, is referring to, if you will, all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of sexual perversion. In it, they would be the ones, you might remember the Apostle Paul wrote, should we sin, that grace would be abound. And of course, the Apostle Paul says, no way, God forbid. But these would be the ones that say, yes, let's sin more. Let's have at it. Oh, it might be rough at the beginning, but don't worry about it. Because we can do whatever we want because God's a forgiving God. And all you got to do is ask him to forgive you and he will. Wow. How dangerous is that? And that's what was happening. Well, the second part is just as bad. Because they are even denying that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, he's, he's just someone good. He, he, yeah, he... He could do things that we can't do, but he loves us that much. So just go ahead. 
Do whatever you want to do. Oh, dear people. I, I, as Jude is talking, I can't help but wonder, is that what's happening in our own society? What was one looked upon as being sinful is now, okay, it just don't speak against it. Just let it go. Uh, if it comes to the point, dear people, where speaking against sin might have us to go to prison, come with me. We'll start a new ministry. No one's going to escape. We'll have the Gideons come in with the Bibles. And we'll have free Bible classes in prison. And to be the ones in prison who are incarcerated, who will get saved. And their lives will change. Oh, that's for another sermon for another time. We got to move on. So what were these people doing, these so-called religious individuals? Well, what they were actually doing was that they were, if you will, a call to sinners. The gospel called to sinners. Well, we know, what is the gospel called to sinners? It's come as you are, right? You can't come cleaned up. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to clean yourself up to come to God. Jesus said, you come to me, I'll take care of that. But what they were saying is, just come and stay as you are. You don't need to change. Just be who you are. I saw a commercial the other day. I almost wanted to uh, sneeze, if you will. The commercial was something like this. They showed this wonderful waves coming up on the beach. And, and it was going on and on. I didn't catch everything until the last of it. When it literally said, just become who you were created to be. Now the implication is not biblical, by the way. Because dear people, we are created to do one thing, and that is to give God glory. But that's not what they're thinking, and that's not what was happening here. It's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? Now, as you look at the second part of that verse 4, you come to realize that uh, God is not surprised by this. Because it talks about the fact that these individuals, God not only knows about it, but he has plans for them. When we get to verse 11, you're going to find out that they're going to be compared to sins that have happened in the past. Balaam, Cain, when we get to that, we're going to have to unpack those a little bit. But what's interesting is not just here. Oh, can, I, can I have five more minutes? No one's asked, no one's shaking their head no, I'll just go with it. I, I do see some people in the back going. So I'm thinking they're agreeing with me, can I get an amen from over here? But uh, two places... That this is not new, by the way. Two places. And it'd do ourselves well if we went and looked at them together. First one is in Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Particularly verses 15 to 23. 
Mark these down if you want to go back and review them for yourselves. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 23. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hmm. Antinomianism means the disregard for the moral law of God. Lawlessness. The second passage is not far from Jude. Maybe we should have started there first. It's 2 John. Now don't go to the Gospel of John 2. No, 2 John. 1st, 2nd Peter. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Then you have Jude. 2nd John. It doesn't have a chapter, it just has uh, 13 verses. But notice, if you will, verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers has gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, since a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Here we have individuals who maybe have realized that the church is falling apart. You don't think it can happen? You go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, you have the church at Ephesus. And they left their first love. And Jesus said to them, if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick from my presence. You realize that there is no church at all in Ephesus. It's gone because of corruption from inside, not outside. Well, 
In closing, may I at least draw our attention to briefly a comment. The bottom line is this. We, as followers, believers of Jesus Christ, we have no basis at all. We have no freedom to believe anything other than what Jesus Christ has told us. We have no right to live any other way other than what Jesus Christ has told us. In fact, what Jesus taught, he gave to his apostles. The apostles wrote it down. And then they only gave, they only gave the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done, but they gave the interpretation and the revelation, and it's something like this. Christ died. Revelation. For our sins. Interpretation. According to the scriptures. Explanation. Revelation, interpretation, and explanation. We have no right to believe anything other than what Jesus Christ told us. May we pray. God, what a warning this is. This appeal, this beseech, this defense of the gospel. For the purpose of believer people to remain strong. To remain as witnesses and lights of the truth. Oh, stir in our hearts, dear Lord God. Stir in our souls. Stir in our hearts and our lives. That we would walk worthy of what you have told us to do. For it is in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Let us stand, please, for the benediction. <laughs>